Dig it. Hello, hi, and welcome to big ol' episode 15 of the Macho Movie Man podcast. Episode 15, a 4th of July special, which is not being recorded in July. <laughs> this is a 4th of July special filmed on the 30th of June. There we go. Yes. It is not American month yet. It is still Pride Month. <laughs> and joining me is... This podcast's OG guest. What's up? Back for the first time in 13 episodes. Hell yeah, man. Glad to be here. We have graduated a college in the time it's been since Fuck, yeah. uh, that uh, snake bitten <laughs> fever dream of a Lilo and Stitch review. Oh yeah. All over that, the shop. That went so... It went into another shop unit. <laughs> it was so far over the shop. It, there's a shopping center full of different shops it went into. Oh, yeah, but anyone in the core squad will get all the side jokes, so it's fine. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> thank, God I, thank God I hadn't realised how to go over more than one hour, because could you imagine the <laughs> chaos if we had had that going on for more than an hour? Oh, yeah. We would have thrown everyone we know under the bus. <laughs> I had to apologise to Dean next time I saw him. Sorry, we, we didn't mean to out you as an alcoholic. <laughs> so let's do it twice. <laughs> Dean is not an alcoholic. We went over this in the Hot Fuzz no, review. he's addicted to cocaine. Yeah, sounds good. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we are talking about a movie that is synonymous with the 4th of July, mm-hmm. uh, Independence Day, that which is. is celebrating its 25th birthday this Saturday. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, my calendar's all over the place at the minute, so like the 3rd of July essentially is the 25th anniversary of this movie's mm-hmm. American release. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, in the 25 years since it came out, it's become kind of the gold standard for the kind of movie that it is. Definitely. It was the first one to kind of really take alien invasions to a serious level where it was global destruction rather than it, just cornfields in America. It modernized. Yeah. And, and it's also like the moment in time 90s stupid summer popcorn blockbuster you yeah. know like this is a movie if you saw it in theaters you you wouldn't be allowed in unless the uh saw the pop the box of popcorn you had was bigger than your head <laughs> you know uh yeah uh so when was the first time you saw independence day oh geez because my... you're this podcast's kind of token american to <laughs> an extent to an extent we'll, we'll do it um my auntie's huge into sci-fi and just horror films and stuff so she very much is the one that exposed me to like you know that side of filmmaking uh so i'd say i saw it when i was i don't know between the ages of 9 and 13 like really young i didn't really remember it until Elfie and i rewatched it recently because we do a thing like, uh, after any night drinking we have a hangover day we just binge alien films so that was the, one of the first ones we watched that is couple goals oh yeah i've ever heard it <laughs> It's takeaway for every meal and alien films. That that's a keeper. Oh yeah. But, so yeah, uh, I watched it again recently, and I, I did not realize how much that film I'd slept on or forgotten about just from my initial viewing. Because every because to be fair, everyone remembers certain moments. Oh yeah, all and the explosions, especially all, the White House. All that's the a, all the explosions and also that speech. Yeah, we will get into that speech <laughs> later, should, yes. but like, in terms of where it ranks in terms of movie speeches, it's it's up there with. Braveheart and Pacific Rim. Yeah, totally. But uh, Pacific Rim, really? 
of course, we're cancelling the apocalypse. <laughs> you know, they, they, they went onto the calendar on their phone, mm-hmm. they saw the apocalypse on their calendar, and they pressed the cancel button. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's the best part about the Pacific Rim. <laughs> I, and, I, and I keep my voice down. I said, that's the best part about Pacific Rim, and then the door, and the door went, and like, Tom's the only other person home. That'll be something too. That too, but I'm like, I feel like if I say anything bad about Pacific Rim, Thomas will get like the, oh, yeah. like, be like a dog and just like, squirrel. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, let's keep this on track. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I would have been around 13, 14. Mm. Like it's one of those movies, you know, if you have film four at home, yeah, you will have seen it at some point because it's always on there every six months. You know, whenever it's like that, it's like when Orty had, when Orty has the big big movie on Saturdays. It's like they have a few old reliables, and uh, Film Four has a lot of old reliables. This is true. And Independence Day is always one of them. Yeah. It's like that sort of seven starts at eight o'clock and it's over by ten, <laughs> that sort of golden window. Yeah. Where it's like, ooh, I can have a movie night, but also I could get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's in a fantasy world where I sleep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, let's get into, uh, some of the nitty-gritty of this, uh, pre-production. Uh, it was directed by Roland Emmerich, and do you find it weird that, um, one of the most American movies ever made was, uh, directed by a gay German man? Nah, it, it, it makes sense. Well, he had an American, he had a, had a mate help. Dean Devlin was also a producer, so, yeah. like, there was... And they only wrote it, like, what, four weeks? Yeah, I just always feel like it's it's kind of weird where it's like this movie that's so, you know, proudly American yeah. in both ways that are awesome and also hilarious mm-hmm. that we will get into. Yep. I feel like that's why I'm kind of, I chose you because I'm like, you have American in you, but you also have enough Irish in you to where it's like, I can, I can, I can make a comment without it potentially going the way of that night in Caribou where... I kept just saying terrible things to that American man without meaning it. Yeah. Like that story Thomas and Blake. Oh yeah, no, I know the story. I say, I was just like, God damn it, Jake, we can't take you anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, but anyway, uh, directed by Roland Emmerich, who mm-hmm. went on to make movies that tried to capture this and unfortunately did not. Yeah. Uh, cast, okay, this is probably the biggest cast write down I've done because... This cast is kind of massive. It's extensive, yes. Jeff Goldblum as Peak Goldblum. Oh yeah. Like this was, this was in that weird mirror between Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park Two, <laughs> where it's just like, because Goldblum has been, it's always weird. Jeff Goldblum had been around for so long before this. He was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers in like the late seventies. Yeah. Like, he was, like he was already a fully established name by the time. Jurassic Park came around, but that was like his big break. Totally, to extend. yeah. Like after that, he kind of became a cultural symbol. Yeah. For masculinity <laughs> and sexuality and all of the allergies. Virility, yes. Virility, spirituality, <laughs> religion, madness. Oh, yeah. Kookiness. <laughs> he is. I feel like you could make a religion about Jeff Goldblum and it would fit the parameters of all other religions. People would flock to it. He's a symbol to follow. Yeah, Gold, Gold, Goldblumism. <laughs> Goldblumian. 
Uh, Will Smith as mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Hillard, the uh, f- the fighter pilot, just as Fresh Prince was finishing up. Seriously, okay. Ninety six was the final season of Fresh Prince. Yeah, was this his first film role then? No, he'd been in a couple of others. They, I, I'll get into it, but like he'd been in a couple films, but you know, he got his big break on Fresh Prince. Yeah. That was when people started to notice him. Of course. And then this movie just shot him into the stratosphere. Men in Black would come out the next year. Damn, okay. And then and then his crowning achievement would come out two years after that. Yeah. Wild Wild West. <laughs> I love the face on you right there. <laughs> it's like God damn it, Jay. Uh Bill Pullman mm-hmm. as uh, President Whitmore, a yes. man who at the at that point in time was in a titanic struggle between him and Bill Paxton as to, no, we are not the same person. We are two different human beings. And tell me, which one's the one that was in Casper? I think that was Bill Paxton. Damn. Bill Paxton was Titanic, Aliens, yeah. Terminator. Bill Pullman was Independence Day. Okay. Yeah. Endless there. <laughs> Well, he was in something else, but I don't want to mention it at this point. That's fair. We'll get. We'll. We'll have to mention. I will mention it by the end of this list. I cool. Uh, George Hirsch as uh Jeff Goldblum's dad in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, despite the fact that I think there was only a seventeen-year age gap between him and About Jeff that, yeah. Goldblum. Oh, Hollywood. <laughs> uh, Randy Quaid as a uh, Russell Case before oh, yeah. he went crazy. <laughs> He just he just went crazy and and kind of modern day Randy Quaid is yeah. like I would not be surprised if he was uh there on January the sixth. Sure. <laughs> He's very much in that crowd at this point. Really. Oh yeah, he kind of went went off, you know, one of those celeb- one of those celebrities that kind of went a bit Trump and then went a bit mad. Okay. Yeah. The ones to avoid. <laughs> yes. Uh, Vivica A. Fox, uh, fuck you honest trailers. I can't hear that name now without not thinking Vivica, not actually A. Fox, <laughs> who was, uh, Jasmine, uh, Will Smith's, uh, stripper girlfriend. Yes, yes. Uh, Robert Lozier, he's the, he's General Grey, he's mm-hmm. the general who's not a cunt. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mary McDonald, who plays Whitmore's wife, mm-hmm. despite the fact that she has less screen time than, uh, the other two main female characters, she got top billing. Seriously, damn. I think she was the bigger name at the time. And when uh, she was asked to do it, she said yes within like 10 seconds because she was like big, big ass spaceships. Oh, yeah. I think so, what they said was like 15 mile long spaceships. 15 mile long spaceships. <laughs> I mean, <was> yeah. <laughs> find yourself someone who was just that willing to go along with your shit. Oh, yeah. If they just say, do you want to get food? What's the place? It's a 15 mile spaceship. I'll, I'll get the food. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, Margaret Collin plays Constance, uh, Jeff Goldblum's estranged wife. Yep. Uh, Brent Spiner from, uh, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Data from, uh, New Generation, uh, Dr. Oaken. Yep. I think this first contact would have come out the same year. Really? Okay. I also, I think he was in a movie that came out the same weekend as Independence Day. Damn. Can't think of the name of the movie, but yeah. I was looking it up and he was in a movie that came out the same weekend. Uh, Harvey Firestein as uh, Jeff Goldblum's boss, who's mm-hmm. in it for a couple scenes. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just, I just, I just love him because like that voice. Oh yeah. That that uh smokes fire too many cigarettes a day voice. Would that be the first one you recognize him from? 
Yeah, because I didn't see Mrs. Doubtfire until later on. That's where Mrs. Doubtfire was always mine. Those are the, you know, it's just like, yeah. oh, I'm not a miracle worker. <laughs> I, I, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't tell. Was that, was that Harvey Fire scene on Jigsaw? <laughs> but, uh, uh, and I, I kind of, I, lo- I like that about, like, 90s action films. There'll be, like, an actor that you know who's, who'd only be in it for, like, a couple scenes. Yeah. But they put him in there anyway, as opposed to nowadays, where it'd just be, like, Oh, there's be some randomer in there because oh, yeah. it's like we don't need an add another name. We have like the top person selling this. And we were so close to getting Matthew Perry in this film. We did. We were. And uh, just want to give a quick shout out to Mae Whitman who played uh, Whitmore's daughter for the simple fact of when they went to do Independence Day two. Yeah. They never fucking called her. Really. Despite the fact that she was still acting. Shit. Like she hadn't given up and hadn't given up acting. She was still in a lot, lots of things. Did you ever see a movie, it was like 2015, called The Duff? No. It had your one from Shake It Up Who Wasn't Zendaya. Oh, Bella Thorne? Yeah, the one who everyone hates. <laughs> everyone hate her? I don't know. If you ever, ever hear her mention on Twitter, there's a lot of go-away heat. Okay. But uh, she, was in a, she was in a movie with like the younger brother of Green Arrow from the CW show. Sure. Uh, so it's like she was in movies, yeah, and like she's an attractive actress. It's mm-hmm. just you know, she didn't get the role because they wanted a skinny blonde woman. Okay, Micah Monroe from It Follows. It just kind of feels like well, now hang on a minute. That that's that's bullshit. Like you mm-hmm. know, it's the one time where you can actually get the kid from the original, you know, who's still acting. Yeah, totally. And it's like you only went, you only didn't cast her because she's not as stereotypically attractive as uh Micah Monroe. Mm, sure. You know? I think she's kinda rounder a little. Okay. So it's like she's she's not like she's not stick thin, you sure. Because, you know, everyone was it was like everyone was like, Oh, Independence Day too, I gotta see it for that young one from It Follows. <laughs> and this is the film industry. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's get into pre-production. Uh, Emmerich wrote this with frequent collaborator Dean Devlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wrote it in four weeks on a trip to Mexico yeah. after they had a conversation on set of on the set of the Stargate movie sure. in 1994, which was their big break, mm-hmm. which later became Stargate, the TV show, and all those other things that I can't think of at the minute. Yeah, but this film's like seriously fast right? Like they wrote it in four weeks and they got pretty much got yeah. they got rid of it straight away, didn't they? As soon as they put it out? Pretty much, yeah. Like they had the idea from like they had the set on talk where like, oh, do you, do you think aliens exist? <laughs> which is which is what I imagine which I which is what I hope all sci-fi movie sets are like just people talking about aliens. Oh yeah. And he said that you're wrong. <laughs> uh so yeah, so it was fat seriously fast, right? Like Stargate only came out in 94, so it's like... And also, they sent it into the studios on, like... I think it was a... Either a I think a Saturday or a Sunday. They got the call back uh, accepting it on the Monday morning. Yeah, see, that's so crazy. So it was like... So, like, the studio said yes almost instantly. Because mm. it's usually like, oh, if it's a couple days before they get back to you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. The, the really fucking fast. I suppose it was just such a rarity at the time. Like, it was just way more, not even big budget, but just a grander depiction of alien attacks. And yeah, and it's like, and it you could get, a, and it's like, that was the style at the time, even. Yeah. Because it was like, it's the 90s, you can do a lot of CGI, you can destroy a lot of stuff. 
the like, majority of it wasn't even CGI. Like that's what's so yeah. fantastic about this film is that Absolutely. it was all models being exploded. Absolutely, but I think it's just because like, you know, the nineties were the time for movies like this. Oh, to break big, yeah. Yeah, it was. They were acceptable in the nineties. Oh yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, and this this is just this is quintessential nineties mm-hmm. in so many ways that we'll get into. Uh, you you already know this, but uh, there was an earlier version of the script where Whitmore was going to be a more President Nixon style character. Yep. And Kevin Spacey was uh being courted for the role because him and Dean Devlin went to school together. Yeah, that was the driving force behind yeah. that. But Fox said no. We don't believe Kevin Spacey is star has, has star material. Yeah. Because again, this would have been ninety four. Would have only started filming in mid ninety five. Mm-hmm. The Usual Suspects came out in December of 95. Yeah. So it's like literally when this movie went into production, no one had heard about Kevin Spacey. By the time the movie came out, Kevin Spacey had won an Oscar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, Dodge a bullet though in the long run. Yeah, <laughs> this movie would have been seriously weird. I, I'll get into it. Like, there'd be a multiverse where, like, there's a the lead trio is so different. Oh, yeah. Uh. Roland and Emmerich, they they always wanted an actor of color for uh, Will Smith's role. Yeah. The studio wanted Eddie Murphy. They wanted Eddie Murphy. The studio wanted Eddie I had Murphy. No idea. Uh, but because Eddie Murphy was the one black actor you could put money on in totally. the mid nineties, he wasn't he wasn't what he was though. Like, eighties Eddie Murphy is a different level to nineties Eddie Murphy. Yeah, totally. 90s Eddie Murphy, The Shine was starting to come off a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he had Nutty Professor. You know, he had one or two. Uh, I think the Lo- Beverly Hills Cops 3 was in the 90s. Yeah, but towards the and 90s. That was and terrible. Early 2000s. Like, he just very much oh, towards family after, films. Outside of. At a certain point, his best work was vocal, and then anytime he was on screen, it, w- it didn't go well. Because, mm-hmm. like. You know, 90s, he, st- he was still doing stuff like Mulan, and then in the 2000s, like, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Oh, yeah. The Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Meet Dave. The Meet blueprint Dave. for Inside Out. <laughs> that they sent back to the shop and put through a shredder. Yeah, so... But, and also, because, like... Also, really weird because like Eddie Murphy was the star in the eighties, and then Will Smith would be the star in the nineties. Of course, it's yeah. like they they there there would be a world where it's like they wouldn't have they would Will Smith wouldn't have been a star because people would have still been hanging on to Eddie Murphy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and but because uh, obviously, but uh, they'd been impressed by Will Smith's performance in the nineteen ninety three drama Six Degrees of Separation. Okay. Which uh, would have been, again, halfway through his Fresh Prince run. Yeah. So that was like 1990s and 96. Sure. But, uh, and, and thankfully enough, you know, Will's, uh, Fresh Prince was at its peak, but also it was starting to wind down. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, but they were able to talk the studio into Will Smith, despite the fact that there was a lot of hesitation. And, and from if you believe what was said, there was a little bit of bit of racism involved as well because again it's like well they wanted eddie murphy i imagine it'd be like eddie murphy because oh you want an actor of color here's the one guy yeah that everyone knows here's the one guy that everyone knows and the one is like the only safe bet that we'll go with we won't go with anyone who's not the safest bet yeah but uh also and again this this catapulted uh will smith into superstar of course yeah movie star uh 
But Will Smith almost had a ghosts of uh, Christmas past and present and future in this movie because the kid who plays his, uh, you know, his girlfriend's son. Yes. Nikki from uh, Fresh Prince. Seriously? Nikki Bang. Yeah, same that. actor, yeah. Because, you know, they'd been working together, so I was like, we need a kid. Yeah. I know a kid. <laughs> yeah. This was the OG him pushing Jaden Smith. And, uh... Nepotism works, man. What can I say? Jada Pickett Smith turned down the role of Jasmine. Really? Really, yeah. So This was before her and Will Smith. This was thing. before her and Will Smith even started dating. Okay. So it's like, you know, she, he all... So it's like, he almost married his future wife on screen and, like, became stepfather to his on-screen cousin. <laughs> Which just sounds like an episode of Jeremy Kyle. Oh yeah, but that's again, that's Hollywood. Yeah, it's a small town. <laughs> it's a small, it's a small world after all. Uh, shooting began in July of ninety five. Principal photography seventy two days. Yeah, no, it's crazy. That that's quite quick. Extremely fast tracked film. Yeah, because although the film wasn't like fully completed until like June twenty of ninety six. Of course. Five days before its first premiere. <laughs> So it's like that's cutting it tight. Yeah. But again, that's that's kind of the usual. No, but the, uh, the practical effects and the uh, cinematography that, that, and take, that, that, that takes ages. Yeah. Yeah. It still, like it mostly holds up. It holds up tremendously well compared to the movie that came out afterwards that we're trying to copy it. Which was. We'll get into that later. Perfect. <laughs> but you know, uh, another one that you know, but I'll bring this up for the viewers at home. Uh. The U.S. military agreed to support yes. the film by allowing the use of military bases, like actual facilities yeah. that the military were using as sets. But they're also willing to give them like machinery and machinery extras if they need yeah, to. Yeah, like if you, if you need vehicles to transport yeah. stuff, we'll give it to you. We support this. You know, I don't know what that would do to a movie's PR nowadays if right. the American military fully supported it. It would turn some heads. Yeah, I feel like Twitter would have something to say about that. <laughs> For sure. But um, they bought, they put, also there were, there were also be like, there's a few actors in here who have military roles. Mm. We can get actual military generals to come in and consult. So it's like, does this line feel like it would fit? Yeah. Is this how I would deliver this line? Consultations. Of course, yeah. But it was pulled because, it was pulled because... The writers refused to get rid of the Area 51 references from the script, despite uh, the military being like, can you please not reference Area 51 and aliens? Yeah, of course. Which, I feel like that's a mistake, because if you want people to not think Area 51 equals aliens, don't act so suspicious by literally pulling your support for the movie because they try to insinuate that Area 51 has aliens in it. That only makes it look even more suspicious and more true. Yeah, no, but it's to be expected. Like, the government is very much... It's like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, please don't go into the bathroom. There's a risk someone could shit on the floor. That makes <laughs> it sound like someone has already shit on the floor. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so they lost the funding, so they lost the support of the military, but they still made it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, the military wanted to support it because it's a very pro-American yeah. film. But no, when they refused to remove the Alien Fifty One thing, you kind of yeah. gotta. That makes that. that that feels like a conspiracy in itself. Oh, totally. But uh, 
Yeah, but again, they they could make because it's Hollywood. They have enough pro military stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, Dean Devlin said he wanted a more grandiose scale because mm-hmm. he was uh, tired of aliens just turning up in crop fields. Exactly. Yeah. He was tired of the movie Science. <laughs> Which was yet to come. So I feel like Science was kind of like. Yeah, no, let's go back to doing that because too many people have done Independence Day. No, definitely, but I feel like Science was, in, you know, a turning off point for that as well, where yeah. M. Night Shyamalan really did kind of... That was, that was where he start, That was where things started to turn. You think so? I think it was more dramatic than any other uh, film that was on that kind of level. I mean, like, it's not his worst film, but it's kind of like, after that, it's like, at that point, it goes downwards. Yeah. Like, you follow that up with, like, The Village. <laughs> then Lady in the Water. Yeah. And then The Happening. And then Split. No, no, Last Airbender. Oh, fuck. <laughs> of course, Last Airbender. And then After Earth. <laughs> yeah. Which had Will Smith and Jaden Smith. Wait, and like John did After Earth? Yes. I had no idea. Jesus, They kept him sense. off the poster <laughs> entirely. They kept him out of the marketing for that film altogether because this was still the... If if uh, M Night Shyamalan goes in the wrong neighborhood, mm. he will be uh, attacked by a mob of Avatar fans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then and then split. I don't know the visit and then split. Yes. And then glass, unfortunately. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Poor M Night. That that that's another review for another day. Of course. Uh, let's see. Uh, but yeah, he wanted a grandiose scale, and they did that, and that's they why this movie worked. Yeah. Yeah, Goldblum, like I said, cast at the peak of his uh, cur- peak of his career as like a leading man. Mm-hmm. Did you know though, the role was originally offered to Matthew Broderick. Seriously, I had no idea. He turned it down, thankfully, due to scheduling conflicts. But it's okay, you know the silver lining for Broderick. He did get to be the lead actor in Roland Emmerich's next film, nineteen ninety eight's Godzilla. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Imagine how shitty that must feel for Matthew Broderick now, mm-hmm. where it's like, he could have he had Independence Day, he ended up with Godzilla. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> and a lot of regret. Definitely. I feel like, like that nine, late 90s period was like, Matthew Broderick's period of just regretful choices, because yeah. like, you know, Godzilla and Inspector Gadget. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I mean, it was in the 80s, but also at that time he killed someone with a car, but... <laughs> it's, it's an entirely different playing field, though. That's, that's <laughs> a very different. Career-wise, not personally. <laughs> personally, his regrets came much sooner. Yes. But, uh... <laughs> what was that about us trying to not get off, uh... It just happens when we're chatting in. Yeah, like, well, we're 25 minutes in, and, you know, we've already talked about... It. We've already gone in an M. Night Shyamalan detour and a, do you remember when Matthew Broderick run over a woman and accidentally killed her? Well, there's no Caitlyn Jenner, but... <laughs> remember to vote, vote, for your, vote for your governors in California, people. <laughs> oh, uh, Fox, uh, Fox uh, were not sold on the name Independence Day yes, because there really was like... a movie from 1983 that Warner Brothers did called Independence mm-hmm. Day and they were worried there would be legal issues. Yeah, of course. Which studios sometimes do to fuck over their films. Like, I remember there was a movie that was called The Butler mm. from, like, 2013. It was like, it was like Forrest Gump. Right. But uh, with black people in the White House. <laughs> 
I mean, I, d- I don't, I don't want to sound, I don't want to make it sound like a racist, but that's very much what it is. It's like, an a butler who worked who, based on like real life, a butler who worked from every president from I think Eisenhower to Reagan. Sure. Which which is like like thirty fucking years, as like a butler in the White House. Mm. And it's kind of like his journey. Sure. And it, and it, because it does feel super Forrest Gumpy, because it's like, it's across multiple eras of America. Yeah, and it's telling American history throughout. Yeah, pretty much. Like, presidential history tied it in with, like, the civil rights stuff. So, yeah, mm-hmm. black Forrest Gump. <laughs> but, like, that was meant to be called The Butler, but then another studio was like, oh, we have a movie from, like, 1940-whatever that's also called The Butler, so you need to change the name. So that's why it's always been advertised as Lee Daniels, the butler. Oh, shit, okay. So it's like the director's name, first and foremost, is then the butler. Yeah. Which is becomes a mouthful to say and kind of <laughs> doesn't make it as attractive sounding. Of course, it's like, yeah. Does, no, the butler, does the butler belong to this person? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they wanted it to actually be called Doomsday and they didn't want it to come out on the 4th of July weekend. They wanted it to come out Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. But, uh... They managed to get around that, though. They got got around that. Uh, that's what how the abbreviation ID four came from because that, yeah. it was it was to get around the legal issues of uh, Independence Day because mm-hmm. I mean they could put on the poster was like you you wouldn't even see Independence Day it'd be like ID four and then the massive spaceship and the city underneath. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of Jeff Goldblum's uh lines with him and Will Smith and him and Judd Hirsch completely uh, ad libbed. Oh yeah, which is fantastic. Like, no better three actors for it though. Yeah, like him and I, I wish him and Will Smith had more screen time together. No, totally. But the yeah. chemistry between the, the actors and characters, like, is just phenomenal. Absolutely. Like, a movie like this would die if, like, there's a weak link in terms of chemistry. Oh, yeah. Mm. But also, it's like Will Smith at his peak, Jeff Goldblum at his peak, yeah. Pullman at his peak, <laughs> I think. I don't have any other era to compare it to. That's fair. Yeah. But, uh,. As you were saying earlier, Matthew Perry from yeah. Friends had a role, but he had to pull out. But his dad ended up being an extra. Remained in the film, yeah. Yeah. At least one Perry. <laughs> yeah, get get in there, Chandler's dad. <laughs> Before the sex change. Of course. <laughs> but there, uh, see, a Friends reference. We're topical people. <laughs> Finger on the cultural zeitgeist pulse button. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's totally, it's, it's totally like 1999 and not 2021. What's this COVID thing? I have no idea what it is. Living a good life. Uh, Goldblum gave his character air sickness to continue a trend across a lot of his movies where his character had some form of a sickness. Like in The Fly, he has motion sickness. Yeah. In uh, The Right Stuff, he has seasickness. You know, at one point in uh, Jurassic Park, he's feeling unwell. Yeah. You know, so I think Goldblum just liked playing characters who had a queasy stomach. I was not aware of this. I mean, it's Jeff Goldblum. He's weird. So it's like, that's like the least surprising thing I could think Jeff Goldblum doing. No, totally. You know? It's like, have you ever seen that uh, Disney Plus show they gave him where it's just him talking about different things? Like, it's like the world according to Jeff Goldblum. And he does... (laughs) He does an episode on sneakers. He does an episode on ice cream. He does an episode on swimming pools. Yeah, it's just things he likes, or yeah, it's just things, random things that he <laughs> likes. It's on Disney. It was it was like one of the first shows Disney Plus put out when it when it uh came on. Yeah, that's some really easy watching though. Yeah, I mean it's Jeff. It's it's 
who doesn't want to talk about Jeff Jeff Goldblum talking about chlorine? Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to watch... He's the only person I'd ever want to hear talk about chlorine in swimming pools. Unless it's one of those shows where it's like, the world's craziest swimming pools. Yeah. Where it's like, this swimming pool is uh, built on the side of the moon. The water feels... The water smells a bit funny. It's just the moon dust, I think. But, uh, yeah, as I said, as uh, was pointed out earlier, the abbreviation ID4 was a legal get-around. The finale was a nod to War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. And there's also references to the day the Earth stood still. Mm -hmm. Because I I call them the white trash characters. Right. Because, I mean, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> they're, kind of, they're in their, they're in their uh, trailer and they're just like, the yeah. TV's all buzzing and it's like, there's clips from like the original 1950 whatever. Yeah. Can't think of the year. It might be 58. Sure. 1958, yeah. Because they, because funny enough, Jaden Smith was in the remake <laughs> with Keanu. Mm-hmm. And that's that dark time in Keanu's uh, career when, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't fun to be Keanu. Yeah. Back to the trailer for a minute, as you were saying, though. I find it funny that, like, going forward from this film, it was kind of a staple for there always to be that eccentric character or just, like, a character no one believed about aliens in every, almost every, every alien film that's just traveling yeah. in an RV trying to figure out the truth or trying to prove their truth. Yeah, it, it definitely made, like, the whole idea of, like, probing. Oh, yeah. Kind of popular again. It was also, it's super upsetting the way they broached that in, in the film. Yeah, it's very much swept under the rug and it's just kind of like, Lols. Yeah, but no, like all the char- all the principal characters that aren't you know, the dude himself, are very much kind of jokey about it. But you could just see him drinking himself into oblivion just because oh, he can't deal with the fact that aliens like, have been inside of him. Yeah, not, not even you know, this. But again, like yeah, you, again, it's the nineties. They don't mm. you know. It's like, that's kind of just like, oh, so you know the aliens are bad because they probed a human. Yeah. It's like they don't go into the sort of mental side of it because you know. It's the nineties. The that's that's the culture. The society wasn't at that point yet, where it's like people would you know be actually mad at that. No, like if it's if it nowadays, you'd have people be you'd have a few people on Twitter kick up a fuss. No, entirely. But like the whole point there was that just the characters, like the character himself, you can just see the stress in his face, like when yeah. the characters in the bar. No one it. and no one believes him. Yeah, entirely. And no one believes him until the aliens actually show up. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Which, uh, to be fair, at least, uh, at least, like, you know, they didn't do that whole story of, like, you know, no one believes him even after the aliens turn up and he has to, like, prove that the aliens are real. Yeah. I'm, like, so glad they didn't do that because it's, like, there's no point in doing that, for fuck's sake. Nope. The size of those spaceships, how blind you have to be. <laughs> uh, the advertising cost $24 million. Including a Super Bowl trailer that cost them one point three million to run. I'm sure you heard about the advertisement in Spain, yeah. What was the advertisement? Well, oh, the advertising in Spain that apparently caused the world, like Orson Welles, kind of War of the Worlds style <gasps> panic. Did you oh, hear about this? No, no. I assumed you would have come across this, man. No, it was, it was really cool. Like, it just showed it was the you know the trailer when the spaceship comes down and just blows up the Empire State Building and stuff and just hover, hovering over in New York. And it was on, it was televised in Spain. And obviously the bottom of the screen in small writing, it says advertisement. This was not an IMDb. <laughs> no, it was an adver- it's a, on the bottom of the screen, it says in tiny lettering, advertisement. But of course the director came out and said, the people don't, people can't watch, read and hear at the same time. 
So he just blames it on people, you know, being too intense wow. and focusing on the advertisement itself. And apparently there's like mass hysteria. Not the same, you know, level as War of the Worlds, no. Worlds Wells, but something similar, yeah. Adios. Which is just fantastic. Adios, meos. <laughs> Oh, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd honestly, I'd love to be in that situation. Not like, I wouldn't believe it, not believing it, but it's like, I'd love to be in like a town where everyone thinks aliens are attacking. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Be an amazing April Fool's Day prank. And you heard about the, the scare they had in California when they are testing out their, their fake UFO, didn't you? No. Or something similar. Yeah, well, you're, you're the alien guy. That's fair. I'm huge like... in conspiracies. Yeah. Um, no, but when they were testing out the, you know, the scene where they bring out the helicopter yeah. with all the light panels on either side, apparently when they were doing test flights of that across California, they got like 50 calls into the local, like, police stations, saying people had seen UFOs. In fairness, this movie does not do California any justice in no. terms of the locals. <laughs> well, like I said, we'll get into that, because yes. I, re-watching it, I only noticed one bit, and that it made me laugh for a full, solid five minutes. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I'm glad I chose you to do this and not Elena, because it's like, I'm not sure, not sure how funny I can find this in front of an actual American. Sure. But we love you, Elena, by the way, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks to the successful marketing of the film, there was so much hype going into this movie. Warner Brothers actually pushed Mars Attacks release date from the summer of 96 yeah. to... December of ninety six. Because it's like don't have an, don't have Mars attacks and yeah. Independence Day at the same time together. You're still gonna be destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, give it some time. And fascinatingly enough, it got Spielberg to for a little while cancel his War of the Worlds remake. Yeah. He was gonna do that in the mid nineties, but Independence Day came out and was like Fuck! I'm out of luck. I gotta wait for this uh, this to blow over. Oh, totally. So he didn't end up making it again until the mid two thousands. Yeah. Which is which, uh, which for me is mental because that that has like implications on like my movie watching hood because my first ever PG thirteen movie was that War War of the Worlds movie. Really. I saw it in cinemas when I was seven. We were in uh, we were in America at the time. Yeah. Oh, I scared the shit. I was under <laughs> I, I was under the seat by the end of it. Yeah. I I, I don't think I've rewatched it many times. I, I honestly I think I've seen the scary movies for parody of it more sure. than I've seen the War of the Worlds. But yeah. uh yeah, no, fond memories of that. So I'm just like, if that had come out in like ninety whatever, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have seen it. Like no, you would have missed it entirely. Could have could have came out like ninety seven or ninety eight where I was like wouldn't have been alive or would have been like one. So I was like, yeah, shit. Totally. This movie kind of led to me seeing a PG-13 movie for the first time <laughs> in a weird, not at all, not at all responsible way. Yeah. <laughs> it's always funny how those things play out, you know? Totally. Also, I just love how like this movie was so big. It got Steven Spielberg to like, to like, you know, go, go in his tail between his legs. <laughs> Especially considering how much this movie knocks off War of the Worlds. No, totally. But it's, it makes sense, like, you wouldn't want to be competing for it. It's War of the Worlds, but it, 90s. Yeah. It's the 90s War of the Worlds. Uh, let's go into step by step. Uh, it opens up with the American flag on the moon. Has to, man. As uh, the spaceships uh, arrive over the dark side of the moon, and uh, we, go, we cut to a uh, facility... Blaring R.E.M.'s end of the world as we know it. Uh-huh. 
which was kind of the go-to song about this movie. Yeah. Which, uh, has, which I will have you know, found a sudden rebirth of uh, popularity on a certain day in November of 2016. <laughs> that day after Trump won the election. Every, <laughs> I remember I was in Dublin, every radio station I turned on was just, it's the end of the world as we know it. It's like, all the radio was like, yes, we played it 12 times today, but come on, <laughs> when are we ever going to get another chance to play it and be so accurate? But uh, yeah, I just heard that a lot that day. It's kind of it into my mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, the station then informed the military, who then informed the president, and we see he's a young president. Fox News are having a go at him. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's Fox News. I, he's, he, he feels very much like a Democrat president. Yeah. We find out that, like, he's, he's young and he was only just flying planes in the Gulf War. I'm like, that timeline makes very little sense. <laughs> was he, like, running for president and killing Arabs at the same time? Like, yeah. like that Gulf War ended in 91. Yeah. And then, was he just, like, a randomer running for politics? Like, it's very hard... Like I don't, I just don't think the calendar lines up. But no, I get what they totally. were going for. No, it's war hero becomes president. War hero becomes president, but within less than five years of the war. Yeah, he's a really good war hero. War hero with no, like he had to have had such a sugar daddy. <laughs> in terms of campaign financing, because oh, yeah. it's like yo, know, you're doing military service. You can't also have like a prior, uh, pol- political you know, position. Yeah. You either need to be a career politician or a celebrity mm-hmm. to to run for president. Unfortunately. <laughs> no, what, ma- no matter what list you're on. Within the film, though, is his wife is also a politician, isn't she? She I works in government. I think so. Hmm. Maybe that's it. I think that can be the only connection there. Hmm. I don't know. Like I said, just the timeline confuses me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we find out that he's losing public approval... Uh, but the, he's a nice president. He has a nice wife who's in California. Mm-hmm. He has a daughter. You know, it's very much you know that wholesome. You know what you kind of what you expect from a president. You know, straight white family man. Yeah. Yeah. For ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, cut. We uh then cut to Jeff Goldblum who's uh playing checkers with his dad in the park. Yep. Which is like something so New York that I've never actually seen it when I've been in New York. <laughs> have you ever seen anyone playing chess in New York? I have not. The one time no. I was there, I definitely did not see that. Uh, but he gets... Uh, and then we kind of... Then we get another trait of uh, 90s action movies. The lead character has a, stud, an ins- has a thing about them that, that has no ba- bearing on the plot. It's just... a personality trait sure like uh, I was watching The Rock recently the other night and uh, in that movie Nick Cage's character is a Beatles maniac mm-hmm. he just really loves the Beatles it doesn't sh- turn up at all because even at the very end like when he uh, when he kills one of the main goons he makes a reference like old music but it's not a Beatles reference it's an Elton John reference where I was like do you like the song uh, Rocket Man by Elton John I don't like soft shit well that's you. You're the rocket man. He presses the rocket button <laughs> and the he and the goon gets like hit with the rocket and then goes out the window. Yeah. So I was like, that's not even a Beatles reference. <laughs> but here it's like he likes to recycle. Oh yeah. 
which you know, means like, oh, he he must be smart and he must know what's good for the planet because he knows how to recycle in ninety six. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's also and he's also wacky because he rides a spike through his office, <laughs> and his office has like specific nineties brand soda machines. But that's how you make him lovable. Yeah, he you he. he uh, and we say 90s brand, I can't remember it off the top of my head because, again, I don't know if it was still in business when we were alive. Tab Cola? Tab Cola? One. I, I never <laughs> had it. That's fair. Uh, no, I, I think I've had a tab and I've had cola, but I don't know if the two of them together. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then we, and we find from Harvey Firestein, all the signals are out of whack. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like you know. Yeah, uh, and then we meet Ran Ran, yeah, Randy Quaid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I was about to say Randy. <laughs> Randy Quaid, quite the character. Randy Quaid, what? Quite the character on screen and off screen. Yes, but I. True. But it, he will always. He'll always be um, the cousin from uh, the uh, Christmas Vacation. Oh yeah. And the original vacation, where it's just, you know, there's like... Lampoons, you know, sh- yeah. Shit is full. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we find that um, he's he's kind of unstable. You know, he's he's uh, he's uh, crop dusting the wrong fields. Yeah. His family is kind of sick of his shit, but, like, they don't understand. Yeah. Nobody understands, like we, like we said earlier. He's had aliens inside of him, and all he can do is drink every day to get rid of those memories. Absolutely. <laughs> He's such a more tragic character than this movie makes it out to be. Oh, yeah, entirely. But, uh, yeah, and so we later find out he was abducted years ago, and, like, mm-hmm. the locals, I don't want to say they don't believe it, but it's like they kind of bring it up in a way that's like, it's not straight up laughing at him. Well. To an extent. <laughs> sure. It's not like, oh, he was abducted by aliens and probed, lol. It's like they just mention it matter of factly. It's when he's dusting the wrong field because he's a bit off in the head that yeah. they laugh you know true it's the actions that he does not the cause that they find funny yeah but uh yeah where, where are we at now uh the aliens send dozens of their ships down to earth i think there's about 15 and they all mm-hmm. they all very conveniently hover over big cities mainly american cities oh, of course well, that's ones we're shown at least you, you get a film. couple where it's like oh it's over an iraq desert and then you know it's like I was, I'd love it like there was like uh, on the DVDs mm-hmm. there would be like you have a setting where it's like they show like whatever your home city is yeah where it's just you just literally an option where it's like you click into like Galway and just air square and there's a massive <laughs> although I feel like yo with this 15 miles is like yo that spaceship would you'd, you'd be having the shadow over or and more and Athen right <laughs> Maybe. What? 50 miles? 15 kilometers? Close, yeah, 15 close enough. Miles. Close enough. You, know, all, you Just know. outside Athenry, yeah. You, you definitely have Air Square. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Air Square, Salt Hill, all, all that area. <laughs> Townside. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and then we get, you know, the, you know, and then we have the iconic shots of, like, it's over the White House, it's mm-hmm. over the Empire State Building, it's over the buildings in L.A., all of which are models that they blow up, which is fan fucking tastic. I love something about models. Just yo, know, 
It's a mm. sweet spot. And the fact that they positioned the camera over the models to make it look like the fire was coming towards the camera. Absolutely. Fantastic cinematography. Say what you will about Roland Emmerich, but he can make shit look good. Oh, entirely. But the yeah. production design on that is fantastic. Like. Absolutely. You know, but uh, also again, because it's like, oh, we don't, we don't need to copy, we don't need to try and outdo the size of yeah. Independence Day because we're making Independence Day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Hillard awakes and very kind of Hitchcockian in a sense, or Spielbergian kind of, mm. you know, you know that he doesn't immediately notice it. He just thinks that oh, there's been an earthquake. Yeah. You know, and it's like oh, pussy neighbors, you know, and then he kind of he goes outside and he just is like. What? <laughs> and then Jasmine comes out. What? Shaco. Uh, uh. Then David explains he's worked out how the aliens are uh, controlling the satellites to attack us. Yeah. Which makes just enough of no sense to make perfect sense. Oh, entirely. Ah, yeah. Which I, which how I, which is how I describe this movie. It's perfectly no sense. Oh yeah. We get the same thing then when they try and explain the code yeah. later on. It's geniusly, it's geniusly illogical. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, he's explaining it to Harvey Firestein's character and he's just like, oh, I gotta call my brother-in-law, I gotta call my lawyer, I gotta call my mother. <laughs> Actually, I got my lawyer. <laughs> Apologies to Harvey Weinstein. Uh, no. Oh my God, Jake. <laughs> oh, Let's take it back a track. I was telling myself this entire time who we were doing it. Do not mix up Firestein and Weinstein. So close, dude. Apologies to Harvey Firestein. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I go back, I'm going to re-listen to this. And I'm like, I'm going to have mentioned that, made that slip up at least more than once. <laughs> I don't think I've caught it before now. Uh, apo- apologies to Harvey Firestein. Yes. A for the accent and B for the slip up. <laughs> Entirely. Uh, but yeah, and then, so he gets his dad, and, uh, they go off to the White House. Yes. Uh, at the base, Hillard goes into the base, but he does invite Jasmine to come visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we find out, uh, he wants, he, he wants to have a job at NASA, mm-hmm. he wants to fly up in space, but, uh, NASA says no, because he's dating a hooker. Oh, yeah. This was, this was before NASA had that scandal of, like, one of their female astronauts, uh, Drove all the way to Florida wearing adult diapers <laughs> because her husband was sleeping with another astronaut. <laughs> Jeez, I missed that entirely. Oh, it's it's fucking mental. And at that point, it was like, yeah, no, NASA does not have that reputation of like, oh, only the finest upstanding human beings can uh, go into space. And apparently, you cannot be a fine upstanding human being if your uh, girlfriend is a stripper. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh. We find, and uh, also, uh, I, I didn't have this down in the list, um, Will Smith's uh, pilot buddy, one of the Baldwins. Really? Not Alec Baldwin, no, obviously. <laughs> one of his far less successful brothers. Okay. I think it's... The lesser Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin. It's like, they're, he's, it's not quite a sort of Chris Hemsworth level to, not a Liam Hemsworth to Chris Hemsworth, it's kind of like... Sure. It's kind of like they're all vaguely somewhere in between Luke Hemsworth and Liam Hemsworth. Sure. The one that people remember vaguely, who has a really girly run, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the Hemsworth that no one knows. Of course. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so they have their uh, conversation. I was like, 
I love you, dude, and you know, but you'll never fly. You'll never fly in space if your girlfriend's a hooker. And then we cut to her, actually, a uh, stripper, and we then we cut to her on the pole. Yes. Uh, and this was where they really do Californians, especially Los Angeles, real disservice, because they go. She goes back into the back, and a lot of them are watching TV, and the newsreader openly says. And this is the most American thing I've ever seen in real life or a movie. They have to do a news report telling locals, please do not fire your handguns at the alien spaceship (laughs) miles above your city. (laughs) Please do not shoot it. Please, you will start a war. Well, people are going to try. I just... Jake, when the government fails you, take the law into your own goddamn hands. It's only been a couple hours. I know, but the government's doing shit all the time. Well, like, I love the mentality of, like, those aliens, what do we do? Shoot it, <laughs> pew, pew. But bullets hurt things, Jake, and you gotta try. But how far up do your bullets go? <laughs> Not far enough. Do you, do you think they pierce the atmosphere and just shoot into the air, you know? <laughs> There's a bunch of dead wreckage of alien spaceships every time, you know, the... Yo, yo, Yosemite Sam just goes like bang, bang, <laughs> bang, bang. But you... anyways, back on top. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Uh, and then another disservice to Los Angeles. They then show, oh look, there's people in Los Angeles having a full-on rave party underneath the alien spaceship on top of a building. But that's the kind of people I would, ju- I would, I would jam with. People who are here to invite the aliens into onto Earth. The ones that know that, well, suspect the aliens are not a threat. But again, this is just anti-alien propaganda feel, the entire film. I feel, modern day, I feel like you would, but you'd also, you wouldn't be in your bet. I, I don't want to say this on the podcast, but you wouldn't be in the, you wouldn't be in your, like, you wouldn't be 100% mentally there. Yeah. I <laughs> can't read sign language on a podcast. It's okay. People know I drink. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then uh, her st- her stripper friend is like, "Oh look, I have a sign, which is a key, which means it's like yeah, she's marked for death any minute." Yeah. Uh, just... okay. anyway, let's keep going. And and then obviously we get David and his dad arriving at the White House, mm. and we see that. David and Constance, who works as the press secretary for Whitmore, yeah. were married at one point. It's been about three years, but he still he still isn't over it. Or he's pining for her. He is he is Goldblum pining. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, he is Ian Malcolm's smouldering levels of uh pining. Oh yeah. But uh uh and obviously the relationship didn't work because she got the job she got a job offer, he wasn't too happy about it. He swung a dig at the president. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fair fucking balls to you. You must, you must love this woman if you're willing to swing a punch at a fucking fighter, military fighter pilot. It makes the character so much cooler, though. While you are, you you, you work, you kind of work at a cable company. That's how they describe it. I don't yeah. know if it's ever fully said what he does for a living. He just works. He's a journalist. He works with signals and satellites, from hmm. what I gather. But um, he he's able to convince President Whitmore that uh, the aliens are about to attack. Yeah. Just in time where they can evacuate the White House. 
But they kind of think, yeah, no, everywhere's fucked, unfortunately. Because <laughs> uh, they send up the welkin, wag- welkin wagon of the uh, fighter jet helicopter and that gets blown out of the sky. Yeah. And then uh, I do like how a few of the characters that were already set up slightly did get earmarked for death within the... <laughs> set up? Within the big explosion, like mm. the marketing piece de resistance, as mm. I call it. But uh, while the more important characters managed to survive it. Yeah. So it's like literally in New York, Herbie Firesteins death and then on LA it's uh Jasmine's hook, uh, Jasmine's stripper friend yes uh who I think her she her, I think her death's great because you get the sort of green glow in her face mm. it's very much like uh, in Rogue One when Krennic dies you just see the death star's ray reflected in like the dark of his eye oh yeah that's a fucking amazing shot oh yeah but uh yeah and then obviously Boom. 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 And all of this money's movie was made. Oh, yeah. That White House shot. Oh. That made it so cool to destroy American landmarks <laughs> for a couple of years. And then it became very uncool to destroy American <laughs> landmarks. Yeah. And then somewhere around 2013, they decided... Maybe it's okay again. Never forget, but let's move forward. <laughs> Never forget, but here's two separate Die Hard in the White House movies. <laughs> oh, why does every time we record it always fucking turns back to nine eleven somehow? Well, Jakey, it's always good to keep remembering. <laughs> this is this is why I don't want to do the Space Jam episode with you. No, I I, I can understand that. I'm doing it with Dean also because. That's a basketball movie, and I know Dean is really into basketball, and no film district, no basketball film disregards the rules of basketball as much as Space Jam does. Oh, yeah. And I include the Airbud movies in that. <laughs> because there is, there is actually, in, in the rule book of basketball, there is no rule against a dog being able to play in a basketball match as a player alongside humans. I know, that's why he's allowed in the court. Yeah, he's allowed on the court, there is no rule. But I imagine in the rule book, there was multiple rules against the discretions taken in space chance but anyway let's get a let's get back on topic <laughs> anyway uh yeah and uh but obviously the president is able to escape uh along in the hel- in the plane with his advisors constance david and his dad his daughter mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure his dog or does he have a dog oh the dog yeah the dog cause, uh, that's it's an, not jeff golden's dog though it's will smith's dog I thought the president had a dog. No, I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure it's... Because uh, everyone loves that scene of the Labrador jumping through the... I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> obviously, Will Smith... Uh, Jasmine does own the dog. Mm. Uh, that that shot... That is one of those shots where I was like... Fantastic. Amazing, but also does the CGI hold up, but you... It doesn't, let... but the emotional support that you feel for this dog is enough to carry it through. <laughs> if it was a human, <laughs> it, it wouldn't... It, in, in a, if it was a human... People would have the pitchforks and torture, but the fact yeah. that it's a good doggo, he's a good boy, he's a good doggo, and he survives the fire. <laughs> I always, I always reference the site that does the dog die dot com dot org. I can't remember which it is, which is like a list of films, and if basically if you search the name of the film, it'll tell you whether or not the dog in that film survives the end of the film. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite websites. <laughs> Do you ever type up Airbud? 
<laughs> Never felt the need to, Jake. I'm pr- pretty selfish assured in those ones. Just tie red and a bunch of kids when we were a dog and we like, hotel for dogs? Do you the dog to die? <laughs> Caribou goes to chemo. Sake. Don't ask me if the dog survives there, but if you don't want me to make cancer jokes. <laughs> if I ever, if, if, if this podcast ever had, uh, ever had merch, that would be the worst selling t-shirt of all time. <laughs> if you don't want, if you don't want to know if the dog dies, don't make chemo jokes. What? <laughs> And moving on. Moving on. <laughs> moving on immediately. Uh, but yeah, obviously uh, all the important characters survive. Yes. Although some of the support- important characters don't know if the other characters survived, mm. which is where the drama lies. Uh, on board the plane, everyone's kind of just kind of like, well, shit, what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the fucking world's gone to shit. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, so they try to figure out what to do next. Uh, and then someone mentions Area 51 lands. Yeah. But... Uh, and the president knows nothing about Area 51. He doesn't know the oh, aliens actually first, it's, it's kind of like it's mentioned... We'll get on to in a bit just no because uh, we then hit the next day. Yeah. Uh, and we're in the base and Will Smith gets one of his best lines in any movie he's ever done. Where it's just like, no, sir, I'm just anxious to get up there and whoop E.T.'s ass. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's not his most, it's not his best line in the movie. That's going to come soon, mm-hmm. but uh, it's still a great line. Fantastic line. But uh, although I do love if this is a world where it's like, you know, E.T. has become a hate figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's fine when E.T.'s playing, ba- playing ball in your backyard, but as soon as he starts blowing up monuments, you got to start e- asking e. questions. E. Does in this universe now does E. T. have the same level of like disdain as like Jar Jar did during like the late two thousands? I don't know. I don't think like, E. T. ever committed suicide. Or like that. Like that pre. Jar Jar didn't kill himself. No, no. The actor considered suicide because of all oh, the shit. Oh yeah, things. yeah. Oof. Yeah. Star Wars fans are a nasty bunch sometimes. Oh, they're pure cancer. I'm pretty sure we as Star Wars fans ruined Jake Lloyd's life. <laughs> that's it. Well, that, by the end, that's, that's for the Phantom Menace episode someday. Yes. Oh, that, that'd be an episode. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, they launch an attack. But uh, uh, when they launch the attack, the aliens also fly down and uh, destroy the base. Yep. So, like, fuck, that's another place gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, Hillard's mate is also killed. Yeah. Very much, you know, that kind of Top Gun moment of like, no, <laughs> I've known you for two scenes. Yeah, it's best bro though. You can tell they're tight. You can tell they're tight because the script really wants you to know that they're tight. Yeah, I'm right, man. He told him, you know, he told him the truth. He told him to kiss ass. That's mm-hmm. when you know it's a friend. <laughs> he was the Third most expensive Baldwin. <laughs> Behind Alec and whoever the fucking one that was making movies with uh, Paulie Shaw at the time. No idea. Uh, but uh, 
Hillet man- manages to shoot down an alien fighter. Yep. And then in actually his best line in the movie, mm. he fucking uh, flaws an alien and oh, just yeah. goes, welcome to Earth. <laughs> you know. Getting back to the production design on that is, you know, the original designs or the concept designs that they had drawn up? You researched this or heard about this in your research? I I I I read it. I it's one of the ones where I was like, I I imagine I'd remember it by the time the told, but it kind of left the mind. That's fair. I just love that the production designer when they was coming to the director with two different designs for these are the two ideas I have for the alien. Which one do you want to go with? And both. he couldn't decide. Yeah, so they chose both. One being the exoskeleton suit they wear when they're on the ship, and the other just being how they look. I I, I feel like that's the type of thing. Depending on what guests I have on, they'll be like, yo, if it's. It was like you were like you did production design yeah. as a module. So I was like any of the production design students. I'm like, yeah, if I have them on, I I feel like I don't need to like go too in depth about like effects, which of course, is kind of yeah. because again I'm kind of more dri- drawn to like crash like ooh this person almost played this person definitely yeah. this weird thing happened on this set you know like whatever do a Titanic episode go you fucking better know I'm gonna go into the whole story of how someone spiked the punch with drugs. <laughs> If you want to go real heavy into the production design in this film, the aliens, that slick coating they got throughout the entire film, that's just KY Jelly. That's just straight up lube. <laughs> but it looks like alien goo, and it really worked. I'm sure it works for the aliens as well. <laughs> oh, do they just call tentacle porn porn? I mean, wouldn't you? I really don't like what this is going. Go, go, quick. Move it, move it. Evacuate this conversation. All right, what's next? What's next? Okay, basically, Will Smith just takes out a cigar and says, and was like, yeah, I know I'm, fu- I'm going to be fucking made after this movie. But that was their, like, that was the whole thing, right? That was their tradition. Yeah. His buddy, once they fly, yeah. they have to take a cigar with them. So once they successful mission, you smoke. Few movies have made cigars is cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, and then, you know, thankfully someone comes along and just finds, finds him and is just like, yeah, let's just take this to Area 51. <laughs> uh, so the president arrives at Area 51 and is, le- and is told, oh yeah, we've known about this for decades, but we just don't tell any of the presidents because it's like, they, they they have a deniability if they don't know it's real. Exactly. Which kind of makes sense, yeah. but also a little silly. But then it's like, since this movie came out, I can pinpoint a person who I would fully just not tell aliens were real. Oh, yeah. There's a few. I don't know. Clinton would try and fuck the alien. he just want to know what it's like. <laughs> but I... I uh, Bush, you know, Bush, Bush, you wouldn't need to tell him. He was like, aliens are real. What? Just one of those balls on a stick. Look. <laughs> Ooh. I feel like either of the Bushes, though, would immediately try to militarize it. Like, oh, B- Bush Sr., definitely. <laughs> uh, Trump? I don't want to. Oof. Well, he's the one that tried to release all the pe- uh, Pentagon files and the Area 51 files. So if if you told him aliens were real, he'd be immediately on his Twitter. Oh yeah, be like <laughs> just found out aliens are real. Whoa, capital, <laughs> big exclamation point. Amazed. The, the wo- This is the woest. 
wowest. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so, uh, do you want to go, do you want to, do you want to take a detour into Alien Conspiracies? Alien Conspiracies. Which, oh, I will have you know, is, uh, the, let me just count the words. Yes. Take a detour into Alien Conspiracies. The seven words Brennan loves to hear in bed. <laughs> and now I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> No, alien conspiracies. Like, no, don't judge me. I spent a full sixty seconds trying to count the fucking words. I'll, I'll give it to you, man. I'll give it to you. Um, no, alien conspiracies. Always been a fan of, and especially like any films like this. It's a. All ufologists believe that the American government and subsequent film industry are trying to skew the public's, um, you know, understanding or belief system or f- feelings surrounding aliens. Many films like this where it's always, oh, you know, aliens come down to Earth, they're super hostile, they're going to try and kill us all, but America prevails because America's awesome. I have no problem with that kind of patriotism, but I really do feel that it's alien propaganda. It's anti-alien propaganda. There's two documentaries I recommend to you, and I think that anyone listening to this needs to watch. Oh, first, I would also recommend Ergotrend Ronan Killian made a, made a uh, very good uh, video that editing assignment why xenomorphs in Alien are the victims I feel like that ties into what you're saying look that up as well it's only a couple minutes long entirely yeah it's amazing it's fantastic Uh, the two documentaries you need to watch if you have any interest in alien conspiracies or want to know the truth about what is out there the first one is Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind a lot of you uh, ex government officials like ex age um military officials and a bunch of uh scientists that have worked with the government and with the military uh basically explain their take on the alien conspiracy and how the government is in fact hiding certain things from us and how these films are used to sway the masses into believing or viewing aliens as a hostile force and that how someday it is very likely that the american government or the american military let's say will release or perform some kind of spectacle Designs to look like an alien attack, but it's really just them masquerading. And I know this is going to sound like it's off the walls kind of shit I'm talking about here. But they'll, I think little... they'll think you'll have Dan Aykroyd on. Oh, yeah. But I put a lot of stock in this shit. So the two documentaries, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind is the first one. And the second one, the follow-up documentaries to that is Unacknowledged. And now I put a lot of stock into what they say and ex- uh, expand upon in uh, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Because it's very much fact-driven and they release mm. a bunch of paperwork and everything. And... The main leading scientist, whose name escapes me right now, um, has actually gone around the world and tried to set up these different um, societies or groups or uh, what's what I'm looking for. Anyway, societies or groups or organizations. Or, or, thank you, organizations Just or some kind of um, desperately trying not to say cult. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. And uh, he currently has a deal with France where they're also in on this uh, CE five thing where. They're trying to contact aliens in a peaceful manner. And again, in the second documentary, they really do go into that. And um, it's more so about meditation than anything else. But the results they get are supposedly really fantastic. Interesting. Yeah. So again, a little bit of a crackpot, but I subscribe hardcore to this. Everyone's got their, everyone's got their thing. <laughs> I, I do one too many word searches. You're, you're obsessed with aliens. Yeah, just a little obsessed. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You yeah. know? Hmm. Some of our friends watch far too much anime. <laughs> Everyone's got some. Everyone's got their vice, man. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, and I that just kind of reminds me. There's a line in an episode of Doctor Who. I think it's the during the Capaldi years or whatever, and it's just a, he kind of just mentions just like, yo, he just talking to like his um companion, and it's very much he just kind of randomly brings up. Your um, aliens look at your movies and they think that's incredibly racist how you show these show aliens in your movies. It's yeah. like the aliens are the bad guys. That's so racist. <laughs> I I kind of like I kind of love the fact that it's like if aliens saw how we depict them in our movies, it kind of be like you know in old westerns when uh, the in- Native Americans are given a really bad shake of the stick in yeah. terms of. How they're portrayed. No, entirely. But it's no wonder that aliens don't want to come down to Earth and communicate yeah. with us because we're so uncivilized. We're constantly talking about killing them. Anytime they, we see them in the films, they, we're going to kill they, them. They barely even cast real aliens to play aliens. I know. It's you know? a fucking travesty. It's fucking, yeah. Whitewashing bullshit yet again. Absolutely. The only, ta- the only aliens I've ever seen play actual aliens are Keanu and, <laughs> Keanu and the day the Earth stood, stood uh-huh. still. <laughs> you can't tell me that boy ain't no alien. No one is that nice. <laughs> and, um... Shit, I can't think of any more. Tilda Swinton, but I don't know when she's played an alien. I can't tell if she's, like, an alien or if she's just actually from Narnia. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, uh... Yeah, it's said, yeah, they, they haven't, uh... They, they've had a... They've had a, a, the actual alien from the same species since the 50s. Yep. Yeah, which, uh, you know, if, if, they've, if there's ever an alien crash land in a movie, it's always in the 50s. Of course, Roswell. This, Paul, which I used to love when I was, like, a teenager. Paul's Haven't fantastic. Haven't seen it in great. Haven't seen it in ages. I th- it, it, it's, it's really good. The only problem is it's, like, it suffers from the fact that it's, it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, but Edgar Wright's not there. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's kind of very much like, you know, someone tried to make an Americanized Edgar Wright film. Yeah. But you cannot give Seth Rogen anything but props for his depiction of oh, an alien. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was, fanat- he was fantastic. And I oh, just yeah. love how that is kind of just, like, very much an homage to, like, multiple different sci-fi movies. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, someone writing the script was geeking out as they were writing it, and I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, and, uh... So yeah, and then they meet Doctor Oaken, yep. who's who's pretty bad. Yeah, he's essentially what what would happen if like you were in quarantine for ten years with nothing but your alien conspiracy podcast to and keep an you actual going. alien and and no fucking and nothing to cut your goddamn hair with. Yeah, although I can't fucking complain. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, and then Hillard shows up. But all the while, uh, Jasmine has the injured uh, first lady and her son. And she goes to the El Toro uh, airbase, finds that that's uh, fucked. And, yep. and then just like, well, shit, let's just stay here because where else will we go? Mm-hmm. But then Hiller shows up at Area 51. So I was like, who's the alien, guys? Uh, and then goes off to find Jasmine in El Toro. Yeah. Because uh, they're waiting, and I do like the, and I do kind of like the interactions between her and the first lady. Because it's very much like, ooh, she's the first lady, she's a stripper. Yeah, it sounds like a sitcom setup. <laughs> but uh, but they do broach that topic very nicely in the film. Yeah. Also, I just kind of just like love the way I was like, I I voted for the other guy. 
<laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, and unfortunately, the uh, alien takes control of Dr. Oaken, mm-hmm. and we get, and which I think, from what I remember of the sequel, which thankfully isn't much, uh, that plays into, like, a character trait with him. Mm-hmm. Like, he becomes more crazy, I think. <laughs> or, Just or, touched by an alien. I think, also, they do the same with uh, Whitmore in the sequel. It's very much because the alien kind of got in his head yeah. with the signal things. It drove him kind of loopy. You know? But, uh, yeah, no. And then it eventually... Uh, it lets him go, mm-hmm. but only after him and Whitmore have like a conversation where it's like, "Yo, come on, peace, lads," and he's <laughs> like, "Nah, fuck that." Yeah. And they and they shoot the alien because they're Americans. That's what you do. And yeah. If you don't listen, you you unload your rifle right, yeah. your revolver into it. If it if it refuses peace, you shoot it. <laughs> I'm 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 quoting Peacemaker from the Suicide Squad trailers. I love peace with all my heart. I don't care how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. And then... And then, obviously, Whitmore knows, okay, they're planning just a full wipeout. So they attempt to nuke the ship, which doesn't go well, because they can fire a nuke at it, but it's just useless. Well, guns don't work. That's the next logical conclusion, JT. Yeah, yeah. Guns and nukes, America's yeah. two best weapons. As you know, it's guns, their fast food on mm. your cholesterol. And that's and that, that's not an insult. I watch a lot of... Because when I start to watch wrestling, it's always on the American channel stream, mm-hmm. so I have to watch so many weird American ads and all the fast food is like... The cholesterol... My cholesterol hurts just watching the ad. Oh, yeah. But anyway, anyway... Getting off topic again. Next time I have you on the podcast, I swear to God, we'll have a drinking game. Sip for every off-topic... Off uh... Okay, but we'll forget to end the podcast. We'll just be continuing to chat all night. <laughs> oh, one of us, I'll fall asleep on the couch on the end of it. But uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, and then it fails. Uh, but thankfully, Hillard and Jasmine are reunited. We get that nice scene. Yeah. Followed immediately by a scene that is shockingly sad for a movie that's this like aware aware of its cheesiness and aware of its corniness and aware yeah. of its stupidity but owning it this is like kind of almost totally out of place first lady fucking dies yeah man lo- man loses his wife daughter loses her mother the film walks the line very well though throughout the entire course of the film absolutely and then but it's also then like not really mentioned again but thankfully it's like at that point in the movie where it was like why would you stop to mention the dead wife you're just like halfway through shooting an enemy ship in a, in a gunfight it's like <laughs> hey, oh yeah I remember my dead wife but uh so yeah they timed it very well they and did if they had killed her off earlier then it'd be like oh you didn't really address that ever again yeah but here it's, it's balanced really well totally has some emotional weight to it Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, then during... And then David just loses it. He's, kind of, he's like losing his faith. Yep. You get drunken... You get Jeff Goldblum imitating Tommy Wiseau from the end of the room. <laughs> oh, I'm fed up with this world. Uh, 
But his dad snaps him back out of it. It was like, everyone has a crisis of faith. I haven't talked to God since your mother died. Uh, and uh, through that, he somehow figures out, got it, I know how to defeat these aliens. Yeah, because he's Jeff Goldblum, and the absolute perfect thing that the plot absolutely needs will just come into his head at the right time. Yeah. No matter what it is. Spaceships and guns. And it's and it's Jeff Goldblum. We know he's smart because he's played smart people before. Of course, this is one. This is such a D- Jeff Goldblum type character, <laughs> and like Jeff Goldblum typecast. Definitely, I've rarely seen Jeff Goldblum in a movie where he has not played a smart person, <laughs> like Thor Ragnarok and Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, he. Uh, he manages to uh, tell everyone this is the plan. Yep. We're going to give it a computer virus because it's 1996 and a computer virus is the cutting edge. Yeah. A, a computer virus is is iOS 20-something. Well, fans and audiences were really like confused by this and the director came out and said, no, it's simple. He figured out his binary code, so he switched all the ones to zeros and zeros to ones and then... Totally, dude. Sure. <laughs> that that is a uh, that is a plot point taken straight off of Fry's ass from Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, and then obviously you know he's trying to explain. Okay, this is what to do, and then we get some beautiful Jeff Goldblum arming, and so it's like, so you have a few minutes to um do your do your um, thing, you know, do blow us um blow it up. Yeah. That's what you cast Jeff Goldblum for. Mumbles. <laughs> Mumbles um, that draw the line between he's either a genius or he's slash. It's educated Mumbles, though. He knows what he's doing. In, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like in a Sims game where so you have the captions on, it's like intelligent Mumbles. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, and he eventually is able to talk the people into it, apart from the one cunty uh, defence secretary. Yeah. But uh, who's almost like, oh, this is never gonna work. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, what the fuck else are you gonna do? This is the last straw, dude. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come, if you're ever gonna do a hail mary, <laughs> this is the hailiest of marys. <laughs> you know, it's a, if this this mary this hail mary couldn't be any more hail mary if it was a person called Mary caught in a hailstorm. <laughs> I milked that dry, didn't I? <laughs> A little bit. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway. Uh. So yeah, Dave. Uh. Levinson and Hiller mm-hmm. agree. Okay. He needs to be on there to give it the virus because he's the computer guy. He's the And I can fly. Uh huh. So these two have decided we're gonna go up. Dream team. Dream team. The two people. The the two people you're selling this movie on. Yeah. Totally. Uh. An amazing chemistry. I'm so terrible. Oh yeah. It's really sad that the they were oh, they only ever shared the screen together in any movie for this. Yeah. No, but it's the fact that you both could riff off each other as well and ad lib for their entire Absolutely. time on screen. Also, there's just there's a there were like a weird you wouldn't there were pairing where it's like you wouldn't put them together normally. Yeah. Normally, but then it's like, holy shit! Will Smith at the height of his powers and Jeff Goldblum just doing anything. Just <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, so uh, they decide, we'll go up there, uh, Whitmore gives him the okay, uh, and then he goes and fires his defence secretary for yes. being a dick. Because every movie, 
involving that many government people has to have one dick. <laughs> but it also doesn't make sense for him to be a turncoat in this movie. Yeah. But, uh... And then you want to know how this how fucking American this movie is. This has never happened in the history of anything in human history. Uh, international troops have gotten word... Oh, yeah. ...that the Americans are getting involved. And no one has ever done this. No one has ever re- responded to that news with... Well, thank God for that. Yeah. No international troop has ever been happy to have Americans getting involved. And that caused problems worldwide. People had the sense of this movie across the globe. That's how. That's how you. Uh, that's how you know Americans made this. But uh, yeah, so they're like, okay, this is the Americans' plan. Let's go with this. Uh, all the people who uh, have flights it. You okay? I'm trying not to sneeze. <laughs> We we full we 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 fully did a COVID safety test before we uh, did this podcast. Just I work in, in a hospital. It's Gucci. Yeah, and 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 I don't talk to many people. <laughs> <laughs> Sad brag. <laughs> Sad brag. Name of my autobiography. <laughs> Name of my autobiography. <laughs> but uh, yes, my life is a sad brag. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, and obviously we see all the people with flight experience, so that's how we find out Randy Quaid has, uh, left his, uh, white trash family yep. to, uh, I know it sounds mean calling them white trash, but they don't really, you, they don't really use, like, names, and I can't, yeah. like, there's a one kid called Miguel, mm-hmm. and I can't tell if he's his son or if he's just, like, dating his daughter. Okay. See, I could have gone somewhere else for that, but I didn't. Yes. <laughs> but, uh... Strike the landing. Yeah. And obviously then, for me, the highlight of this movie, just because you can't quote an explosion. <laughs> yeah. President Whitmore's speech. Yes. And again, something they wrote, like, he went into a room and wrote it in 10 minutes. And they're like, that's a placeholder, we're fixing in post. And the only thing they changed was to add on to the fucking final line. Today is our independence day. Yeah. Just to get I the name mean, of the movie oh. solidified. It's so good. I mean, it works. It it works because it's that fine line between America, fuck yeah, but also <laughs> just enough planet Earth, fuck yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Keep because it it's kind of like, you know, he's allowing everyone to co- co-op, to co- what's the term? Co-op, 4th of July. Oh, yeah. Also, he starts getting kind of Shakespearean where it's just like, we will not... Uh, Go quietly into the night. Yeah. It was just, woof. Watching that, I was like, I'm not American either, and I'm getting a bit emotional. Well, they full-on parodied Henry V. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, everyone parodies Shakespeare in some this way. This is true. Yeah. But like I said, for me, still, number one movie speech ever. Yeah. Then Braveheart, which is, you know, any anytime... Anytime anyone plays against England, the Scots just start quoting that. <laughs> uh, and uh, like I said, Pacific Rim, we're cancelling the apop. We are cancelling the apocalypse. <laughs> because yeah, whoever wrote that line, give them a raise. <laughs> because that is a tagline that you could sell the entire movie on in a pitch. This is true. They're about people who cancel the apocalypse. Let's <laughs> fucking make this movie. <laughs> But, uh, also, shout out to maybe the greatest performance by an extra 
without any lines in a movie, at the end of the speech, the guy with the most intense. <laughs> I really shouldn't have done that. My arms are still in bits from the gym the other day. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, just I've never seen an extra with that much intensity. For a salute, yeah. Like he was, I I feel like he he was on the level. Of, like I think he thought it was all real. I thought I think he was like full, he thought he was actually gonna go up and fight aliens and Bill Pullman <laughs> was the president giving him a speech to his face. Well, that's method acting, man. Yeah, uh, is he like one of those uh, Daniel Day Lewis types? Oh yeah. He he, uh, he spent six months living in the actual craft that he was flying. <laughs> he. He would, he would never take the helmet off. Yeah. Even like, I was just like, honey, come to bed, take the helmet off. No, it's from a roll. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, so they attack the alien ships uh, and Whitmore gets in on the action while he's, as he's flying. Because, you know, they did say he was a fighter pilot. Yeah. And he does constantly make reference to it. It was like, oh, flying planes was much easier than being a president during an alien <laughs> attack on Earth. Yeah. But also they have the whole, like, you know, severity of him going into action and the... Yeah. His officials trying to keep him out of the ship, but he's like, nope, gotta go defend my country. Yeah. <laughs> f- fuck you, advisors. <laughs> f- f- fuck you, advisors, who have seen everyone else in this administration get killed. There's no vice president. <laughs> like, what the what would have happened if he had died? Well, the general would have taken over for the next 20 minutes, the earth was still around. <laughs> then mass destruction boom yeah yeah boom uh, but yeah uh, while David and Hillard get inside the mothership and they install the virus of course you know again War of the World reference and then obviously they get the cigars out you know I always thought these would kill me uh, and then with the shields down uh, Russell sacrifices himself kamikaze style oh yeah because his missile jams uh and he just uh, wants to kill those alien bastards. Yeah. I'm back. <laughs> but, uh, and doing so, he exposes the weak spot, which then everyone else in the world, when they're attacking the ships, capitalize on. Yep. So that's the end of those ships. Of course. You know, it, it's, a, it's a step up from uh, you know, Phantom Menacing it, where yeah. it's just like if one ship gets destroyed, they all go down. It's oh, very yeah. much... Let's not do that. <laughs> Let's just be like, okay, everyone now knows exactly, no matter how far away in the world they are. Yeah. The people in Iran somehow know if you hit it in this spot because there's one American guy Jesus himself for us. <laughs> they never actually mentioned him in the sequel as well. I don't think I've ever actually seen the sequel. You lucky bastard. <laughs> that bad, eh? It's terrible. Okay, I'll stay away. It, it is a sci-fi channel movie. <laughs> but it's also acting like it's too good to be a sci-fi channel movie. Sure. But uh, also, but anyway, anyway. So yes. Hillard and Levison smoke their celebratory cigars as they face certain doom because they're stuck on the ship. Right. They see the alien queen, the ugly fucker. <laughs> but uh, they manage to free themselves just as they fire a nuke. Oh, yeah. It was like, that's amazingly convenient timing. <laughs> that is movie timing. It is. Uh, but uh, they get off the ship before it blows up, and they arrive on it just in time to watch the slightly morbid uh, firework display of alien debris. Yeah. It's just like, look at that, Daddy. 
fly uh, burning alien carcasses in the atmosphere. <laughs> Looks like fireworks. Yeah, man. Fourth of July. Yeah. See now, in fairness, those fireworks are slightly better. They don't scare dogs. <laughs> They're silent, peaceful. Uh, and uh, boom, that's it. Because this was still the nineties when, like, an action movie would end just at just as the action was ending, as yeah. opposed to now, where there's like an extra five ten minutes of just like this person's here, this yeah. person's there. The emotional wrap up. Yeah. In they, heavy quotations. <laughs> yeah, they don't do... They didn't. They never did emotional wrap-ups back in the day. It was just like, movie, 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 and then suddenly the final bit, and then movie ends immediately. Yeah, you didn't need it. Yeah. The characters were strong like, enough, their like lives were tangled in the action. Like there was movie up right until the end of the movie, and yeah. then there was no, this is not movie anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's just check. We got time. Anyway... Uh, let's talk post-production. This came out on the 3rd of July, 1996. Yes. Which was 24 years ago and 360-something days away, I think. Mm -hmm. 360... 24 years and 362 days late ago. That's it. Yeah. Fuck you, ordinary level maths that I failed. (laughs) That's why we do film. Yeah, it's absolutely why we do film. Uh, and in the UK and Ireland, it came out on the 9th of August. Yeah. Which I feel like negates a lot of the film's uh, prestige. But again, we wouldn't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. It's not ours. But uh, all, but again, like ima- imagine if we were around back then and it was like, oh, the Americans got this movie. Like Then it was like, you got to wait till August, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh. The budget was $75 million, which was a lot. Yeah. But you want to know what the sequel's budget was? $165 million. Fucking absolutely flopped. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into it just for a second. Okay. It's opening weekend in the US, it made $50.2 million, which Shit. was record-breaking at that point, yeah. especially with that weekend. UK made 5.8 million, which is impressive for the UK. Yeah. Its overall gross, domestic overall gross, was 306.1 million. Mm-hmm. Do you know how I, I made that face when you said flopped? Yeah. Domestically, this made 306.1 million. Around the f- worldwide, Independence Day 2 made about 380 million. Oh. So like it made uh, so yeah it made only about 70 something million less world more worldwide than the original made just in the US. Shit. Like internationally it made this one made 511.2 million. Yeah. Uh add that together you get a worldwide gross of 817 million. 817.4 million. So it's like, that is not far off three times what the sequel made overall. Yeah. That's why you don't wait 20 fucking years (laughs) to make a movie where the most, where like, the charm is the nostalgia of it. Yeah. The charm is that it is so 90s and then you don't bring any of that charm with you. Yeah. You make a shit movie that doesn't have the nostalgia factor outside of, oh, look at these characters. They were children. Look, 
Jeff Goldblum's back. He really doesn't give a shit because he's just there for the money because I imagine any any enthusiasm for it was beaten out of the minute he read the script. Yeah. Will Smith's not even coming back. There's an oil painting. It's an oil painting. <laughs> which is the uh, key sign that Will Smith decided not to come back for the sequel because here there's an oil painting, Men in Black 4, where he doesn't come back. There's an oil painting of his character. Okay, is this a common thing for him? I don't know, but if he's not, but if Suicide Squad has a uh, has a oil painting of uh, his character from the first <laughs> one, then yes, it will be a trend. Okay. But uh, yeah, so eight hundred seven. At that point in time, it was the second highest grossing movie of all time mm. worldwide, just behind Jurassic Park. Okay. Which is insane. It did three weeks at the number one in both the US and UK box office. Right. Which, uh, again, for like July of 96, that would be impressive because at that point you still have Twister around the place. Yeah. That would have come out like May, June-ish, Mission Impossible, which is still fucking insane to be honest. Like, oh yeah. The first Mission Impossible was 25 years ago and the last film they did was the best one of the series. <laughs> It ended up being the highest grossing film of 1996. That top four, the top five also included Twister, Mission Mm. Impossible, The Rock and The Nutty Professor. Of course. But also shout out to 96 because that was a great year. Among those films, obviously this, Space Jam. Oh yeah. uh, Scream. Uh, What else? Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks, Mm -hmm. yes. Uh... I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Can't think of anything else. But still, great movie. I just also kind of wanted to give a shout out to Scream and. Yeah. I I imagine once we stop recording, I'll think of more. That's fair. It was a year for Trailblazers, though. Absolutely. Uh, And while it not only found box office success, it found Oscar success as well. Mm -hmm. Two nominations. It won for Best Visual Effects. Yep. And it lost for Best Sound to The English Patient. Which, to be fair, that's no hard hard doing, you know, yeah. like, because the English patient, like, I think that won nine Oscars. That well, was the big stuff. winner. Chef's kiss. Mm. <laughs> oh, Voldemort. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it, it became this big summer blockbuster landmark, you yeah. know? Like, the term... Popcorn blockbuster. I feel like this was the movie that gave birth to that. Sure. I feel like it had some negative effects because it kind of followed in Jurassic Park's footsteps of showing people, look, all you need for a successful summer blockbuster is CGI and explosions. Yeah. And that's how we ended up with the dark times of summer movie blockbusters where they weren't good they were kind of very much just like CGI action, you know, in place of plot, you know, Armageddon, Volcano, yeah. all the natural disaster movies that kind of preceded uh, Twister. Yeah, no, totally. But like Twister and Jurassic Park and this film, very much like it, the appeal was in the giant spectacle that they were. Yes. But films since then have kind of just lost the plot Absolutely. for that. Absolutely. Yeah, and Roland Emmerich, like, his yeah. entire career has just been trying to follow this up. 
the only time he's come anywhere close to getting this kind of success in terms of making a good movie, The Patriot, with Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger. Mm. Which I remember because we were showing it in second year history class, and that's the only time I've ever seen it. Because for some reason, yeah, they just do American hit. They do the American Revolution in second year history in Ireland. You know. There you go. But uh, yeah. Let's just quickly check. Anyway, but uh, yeah, and uh. And then besides The Patriot, a lot, every movie has just been, let's do Independence Day, but try and make it bigger. Yeah. Day After Tomorrow, 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tried making you know, White House Down, yeah. which was the lesser of the two, Die Hard and the, wife, <laughs> and the White House. Yeah. And, even, and I feel bad, he also made 10,000 BC. Do you remember that? I've never seen that one, but yeah. Yeah, we all, it's, it was that one that wasn't Apocalypto. <laughs> uh, and even when he and I do kind of feel bad for him because, and then he came back to this because all of his other movies failed to recapture the dra- the Independence Day magic and then the, the Independence Day sequel was maybe the wor- even worse oh and he also did Godzilla so do you think the magic in this film was a total fluke oh, it's hard to say because they, the studio offered Dean Devlin a shit ton of money to do a se- to write a sequel immediately after this movie's success. And he actually took the money and was writing a bit around it. And then he decided, no, I don't want to do this. And then he handed the money back. Shit. Uh, and then years later, he came back around and did it. So maybe if he had done it at the time. Yeah. But I feel like this was very much, you know, the... the I feel like when they made the sequel, they didn't understand what made it successful in the first place, or they had just forgotten what made it sure great in the first place. But, uh, and in terms of, like, success, uh, and again, I do feel bad, because, like, n- on their own, they've never had the same success. Sure. Because uh, Dean Devlin made fucking Geostorm. Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking watch Geostorm. <laughs> It's atrocious. <laughs> it's it's Ger- it's it's like Independence Day, but like they gave Ger- Gerard Butler both the Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum role put into one. Mm, yes. Because who needs chemistry? <laughs> no, who needs chemistry when you have Gerard Butler? Yeah. Uh, and even when uh, Roland Emmerich has tried to like t- like do something dramatic. Yeah. He made Stonewall. Which was his, you know, his Stonewall movie, which I feel was probably from a play, uh, personal place, because again, you know, gay and whatnot. But people hated that, mm. and for a fucking good reason, <laughs> because he cast almost entirely all white actors, and Stonewall, his historically, was started by people of color. Yeah. And this was in fucking, twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Like this, like you do that shit in the nineties and get away with it. You don't do it now and get away with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it launched Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin for better or worse. You know, mm-hmm. I you know not for worse if you're a Godzilla fan. <laughs> for worse if you are a fan of this movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it but it did change the game. Entirely, no. Blockbusters have never been the same yeah. since. 90s like, blockbusters are defined by this movie. Yeah. Late 90s blockbusters by this movie and how 
much you could be like this movie or how much you couldn't be like this movie. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. And just moral of the story, don't watch the sequel. <laughs> Good to know. Something to take away. Don't watch the sequel where it's just... It's shit. <laughs> so, final thoughts on Independence Day. Love it. It's a film that I definitely need to watch more. It's like one from my childhood that I've only revisited recently and been sleeping on it for years. Again, I can't watch it without thinking about all the alien conspiracies that, you know, Yeah, in fair, yeah. Like, it's, it's very much, you know, alien propaganda mixed with America propaganda. Totally. Mixed I'm, with, you know, just Hollywood spectacle. While it doesn't hold, I feel like, plot-wise, it doesn't hold a candle to things like Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third, oh, of the Fourth Kind. Oh, of course. Like, like this is a stupid version of yeah. it. This is a this is a Spielberg movie made by people who are, are idiots. Yeah, but, but I like, do in enjoy a good the spe- way. Yeah, I do enjoy the spectacle that it is, though. It's off balls to the wall, crazy alien slaughter. This is it's fantastic. A, this in that is sense. the perfect gold standard of a turn your brain off blockbuster yes it is yes and i love it because well it's jeff goldblum exactly and it's will smith uh, i i even say at his zenith even because even <laughs> after that men in black yo and yeah. then he, he started making some poor choices mm-hmm. he turned down the matrix for wild wild west oh yeah kept pushing Jaden Smith on us like it was that sh- <laughs> like it was that one anime that only you will like that the pursuit of happiness is pretty good but I think everything thereafter was kind yeah. of yeah uh, I, I have a soft I do have a soft spot soft spot though for the Karate Kid remake that's fair yeah he actually pulled it out of the bag in that one too yeah anyway uh, so that is it for this week's episode I hope you have enjoyed our wild and wacky wander into the world of 90s popcorn blockbusters Jeff Goldblum's swooning um, taking subtle digs at America oh yeah and, and alien const- conspiracies yeah and our constant detours that just we cannot prevent uh, no matter the, how hard we try the air, the air podcasts together are a, are a detour de France oh yeah uh, but anyway thank you very much for watching I do not know what next week's movie is. I do not know who the guest will be. Uh, I, I, I hope there's a guest. <laughs> uh, I kind of have a few ideas of where I want to go, but that depends on calendars and schedules. Mm-hmm. As I said, I do want to do a Space Jam episode, but I kind of want to wait until... Dean is available. Well, Dean is available, and also... well, I feel like we could help Dean get available at some point, but also... Make it be closer to Space Jam 2 to hype up the event that is Space Jam 2. Yeah. Come on, guys. (laughs) It's fucking years I've been hearing about Space Jam 2 and it's happening. We'll see how it goes. Praise Algorithm. Algorithm. Yeah. But anyway, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yes. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all the support. Uh, whether you're listening in Ireland, whether you're listening in the UK, Us whether Sweden. you're listening in America, I apologize. Sweden. And us Sweden. Us Sweden. Don't, don't you dare turn into the Swedish chef now at the very... Burger, burger, burger. Burger, burger, burger. I'm not, bringing it out of you. You're, out you're, of you're not allowed to turn into the Swedish chef. You look too much like Beaker. 
And just like that, he was put in his place. Yeah, down, boy. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yes, so uh, thank you very much for listening uh, to the one person in America who was, who, was, who was a watcher. I do apologize for all that we have said on this podcast. Uh, the, the views that have been said are not, do not entirely match uh, our personalities. But they kind of do. While we're, while we're recording, at least. But uh, anyway, happy 4th of July, everyone. Uh, even if you don't celebrate it at all, I would say watch this movie on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Because when else are you going to watch it? And it will, when else will it feel most appropriate? <laughs> it just watching this on the 4th of July is an experience in itself you know it's like those screenings where like you can watch Jaws in a swimming pool with people you know <laughs> yeah or watching you know E.T. outdoors or something like oh, that yeah. you know uh, but anyway thank you very much for watching this has been episode 15 Magustulations yes uh, I hope to see, I ho- here's to another 15 or more episodes there we go yes Thank you very much and uh, goodbye.